0: Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Cy si and Dan. I am Si and with me as always is the always brilliant, entertaining and just general
1: awesome top bloke, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, sir? I was doing really good up until that entrance because now you've been too nice to me and I say I feel suspicious. <laughs> no, I was just, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> this time next week I, I, I'd have been up
0: your way, wouldn't I? I'd have travelled the 140 miles or whatever it was and uh, been up to... Been up to York, not up your way like that. What is wrong with you? Fella? <laughs> we've not, we've been recording thirty seconds,
1: and it's really took a bad, bad down, downturn, hasn't it? Eh? I've been looking after my niece all day. I've had to be a responsible adult. I've got to get the childish out. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. <laughs> as, fun, yeah. as, funny as, it, as funny as it's been amusing a four-year-old with fart jokes, it's not quite the same as making dirty jokes and yeah, and innuendos and whatnot. My,
0: and I'm having to cut out like, three and a half minutes of audio because we just made a knob joke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and avoid that. I'll try and avoid that uh, this week. But to be honest, yeah. I've about two minutes into this episode, uh, into this first <laughs> first episode of this serial, I've ended up making a poo joke.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough, mate.
1: <laughs> that's fair enough.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, this time next week, I'd have, have actually met you in person, wouldn't I? i popping up to you, yeah, kind of wife, and, and we're going to go for and, a
1: few beers and whatnot. And that'll be the end of the podcast when Si yeah. realises what a dick I am. <laughs> so
0: enjoy this night whilst it's ice. We're never going to make it to the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll drag you kicking and screaming to that movie. Yeah, fair enough, mate, fair enough. <laughs> and also, as we record today, it's Easter Sunday, and later on today, we have a new episode of Doctor Who, Dan.
1: Yes, one involving the Sea Devils, which I've never seen before, but I know, a, I know they're a classic Who monster that's, uh, that's mm. coming back for the first time, so fingers crossed. Yeah, see, I watched, I watched a few Sea Devils. I mean, there's a Peter
0: Davidson story they are involved in. I think mean, that's like the most recent one, maybe, the Sea Devils mm. were in. Um, I'm not going to lie, they looked a bit crap, mate. So,
1: I'm not going to lie, the look a bit crap coming into tonight, but... Yeah, yeah. hopefully it'll be alright, it'll be alright. I'm just excited because we get a new Who, mate. Yeah, it's always a good time when that happens. And I actually didn't realise it was on on Easter Sunday until uh, until the Thursday before. Oh, okay. So double whammy for me, because well, I don't really watch TV, I always watch stuff on demand, you know. Yeah. Unless it's football, so, or, or sport, so, yeah, pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. I I knew it was on, um, but I didn't know if I'd be able to fit it in. I'd like to try and watch it as it airs, because then Mm. Twitter afterwards, there's lots of conversations about it and so on. I don't like having to wait or whatever. Now the kids are older, it's a bit easier to literally go, shut up. I'm watching this. (laughs) 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 Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, So today's uh, subject, today's topic for the Doctor Who pod is incredibly more dated than what we're talking about (laughs) reviewing later. This Mm -hmm. is from 1970. It's a John Pertwee story and it's Inferno, Dan. I mean, initially, before we dive on in and have a little look at what goes on, uh, what are your sort of general thoughts?
1: Um... Well, I was going to start with obviously going to start with the intro. Um, yes, but um, I really liked it. The uh, the sort of kaleidoscope effect was cool, mm. and the red fading into different colours, and Pertwee's face that seemingly sort of that comes into focus behind everything. Um, I like that. Yeah, it was good. It was a nice, simple rendition of the music. Solid font on the logo. It was, it's a good, solid. You know, it's a good, solid above average. Like six, seven out of ten, I'd say for the intro for me. So it's very seventies.
0: I, I know it's I know states the obvious, but I suppose mm. maybe it's not, because this is this is May 1970. So it's only very early in the seventies. S- slightly ahead of its time. Well, potentially, yeah. But I mean to me, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, this is very seventies, but seventies in a good way, not seventies yeah. in a in a
1: ropey, crappy way. This looks good, you know? Yeah, it's not um, you know, it's not wind up silver turds posing as cyber mats or anything like that is it <laughs>
0: <laughs> no <laughs> yeah exactly exactly the the format of the show as well this was a seven parter now like it's actually ended up being the last seven parter they ever produced but it was quite common especially in john Pertwee's time to have these longer stories and william hartnell had a few as well how did you find that in general with, with regards to the length of this tale
1: seven parts i spread it out over three nights okay so it was it was actually quite good it, it worked for me. I think um, maybe on reflection, I think the one sort of disservice I maybe did to um, Colin Baker was watching both forty-five minutes back to back, making okay. it making it maybe a longer slog than it that it actually was. This spreading out over three nights, seven parts over three nights, it it felt it felt decent. But I think as well the although it's long, a lot of it is quite well paced. And even mm. the bits that do maybe meander, it's so well-written and so well-performed that it's still quite engaging, even when they're taking two minutes to say something that could have been surmised in 10 seconds. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I get you. I, me, I've, I watched the first couple of episodes of this a while back, as I mentioned on last week's episode, and I, I decided then this would be the John Perry story I select. So I stopped watching because I thought, I've never seen it before. I can effectively then watch it brand new, the same as you are. I ended up watching mm-hmm. it then, yes, literally yesterday, in one hit. I watched the whole lot <sighs> in one go. My plan was to watch half yesterday, half today. But I just kept going back and pressing play again and watched the whole lot in one hit. And <laughs> it didn't take away from that either. I mean, I, I'm talking about Colin Baker and that two 45-minute episode um, effort that, that we watched a few episodes ago becoming a bit of a slog. Maybe it would have been better to watch it separate. This one is longer and it didn't feel like a slog at all. I, I enjoyed it. I'd happily go back and watch it again.
1: Oh yeah, I'd watch it again definitely. It somehow a seven parter, which is so they're all twenty to twenty five minutes. So that's mm. you're looking at two and a half hours. Somehow that felt shorter than an hour and a half of Colin Baker. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Which with is that. a bit, which is a bit mad. Um, but straight off the bat, I there's something incredibly endearing about John Pertwee's Doctor. Yeah, and I don't know what it is, but. Just the way he sort of carries himself, the way he speaks to people, even when he's putting them down, he seems like no, oh, he's a bit of a gentleman, really.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's that's perfect. The perfect term. I was going to use that myself. Very gentlemanly, very, uh, I suppose, old school in in his mannerisms potentially as well. You know, old school he is, without being too old fashioned. Yeah, yeah. And the dress, I think, helps with that as well. The, the way he, the way he's, you know, the, the costume he's wearing, it's very in 1970 that would have been dated then but it still looks it still looks good on him it still suits him rather than you, you don't look at it and think okay that looks out of place if it was on somebody else in the serial you'd think okay that's weird because it's on him and the, like you
1: said the way he carries himself he just completely pulls it off doesn't he yeah but he's quite tall he's got the sort of bouffant you know gray hair mm. um, and, and only someone like that with that sort of confidence and, and self-assurance can pull off that type of dress. O- only this this version of the Doctor and maybe Capaldi could pull off wearing a cape. See, Capaldi, I think there's a lot of, visually, maybe
0: not character-wise, but visually, I think there's a lot of comparisons to be made between per- and Capaldi. Again, maybe it's yeah. a similar age, and again, the hairstyle is quite similar and so on.
1: But it's the It's the older style of suit as well mm. that's maybe outdated for the time, you know, the time it aired. But they somehow still make it look cool. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, the Brigadier as well. He plays a huge, prominent
0: role in this story. You've mm. obviously encountered the Brigadier before in New Who and in certain specials like the Five Doctors and so on you mentioned. But this yeah. is, I suppose, the first real, the first real story of him being involved in every single episode of a serial. And, and quite, as we said, seven episodes, quite a long one. How did you find the Brigadier in general?
1: There was a bit more contention between the two than than I expected. Um, not to jump ahead, but particularly as you get towards the end, and mm. the doctor's really quite sort of terse with him and, and, and just out, just out outright insulting. Yeah. But then it, it all you still get even though they sort of differ on a lot of things, you can tell that they actually do respect each other and they're almost if if they're not friends, then. The more than willing to to work together towards a common goal if you get what i mean there's a, there is definitely a mutual respect between the two even if they don't always agree
0: yeah no that's fair enough that's fair enough this is the first time i've encountered the character liz shaw properly obviously we've seen bits and bobs here in new who and, mm. and and other other formats i guess but this is the first s- story i've watched in full that has liz shaw as the companion I think she's she's good enough, I guess. She's not exactly damsel in distress or anything, but at the same time, she's she's not... There's nothing about her that makes me scream, oh, wow, she's incredible. There's something that sets her aside. She is very much a lady of that age in the 70s, because obviously that's where the Doctor is, isn't it? So she does fit in to the
1: scenario, I guess. Yeah, I don't think Liz was given over much in this serial, particularly, um, again, not to skip too far ahead, but particularly not in the sort of the first in, in her first incarnation that we see her mm-hmm. in, you know, when she, when she is the doctor's companion, not the alternate character, um, she's not given a vast amount, but she's given enough to show that she is intelligent. She is capable. She's a doctor. She's a direct unit employee. So she has to be some level of intelligent yeah. to be employed by unit in the first place. And the doctor trusts her enough around his equipment and machinery and, and has taught her enough to to assist him in building, you know, and repairing and, and things like that. So she isn't given a lot in this episode, but there's enough to put across that she's way more than just, you know, just a pretty face. She's someone who is capable and, and can step up if and when necessary. It's not like when they had Perry, I, I think you it was, to paraphrase what you were saying on, on the, uh, the Colin Baker episode, it's not like you've got Perry just bimboing around. You know, Liz has a job to do. The doctors give you know has a job to do from unit. The doctors give her jobs to do. So you get the sense that even when the not her and the doctor aren't you know in the same room, even that she's always doing something important elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. This was actually the
0: last story the character Liz Shaw was involved in as a full time. uh, I suppose full time character. She appeared as we mentioned a couple of cameos later on, but this is the last story she was involved in. She never got a proper on-screen goodbye, I guess. She didn't get a a scene of her own to show she was leaving. The the brigadier mentions, apparently, in a later episode that she resigned from her role and moved elsewhere because she decided that the doctor just wants someone who can stand there and hand him test tubes was a line the brigadier Mm. said that she came out with. So, maybe she just viewed herself as being a bigger and better than an assistant, I guess, maybe.
1: Quite possibly. It's... I'm a bit torn now because when you said she didn't get sort of a goodbye scene, I thought oh, that's a bit of a shame, mm. but when they've written it out like that that she's essentially left on her own terms and decided that she that her time is worth more and can be better spent elsewhere, I'm trying to think of any sort of modern who companions that have done that um Martha I think might be the only one mhm, yeah, because um. Rose got stuck in ultimate alternate dimension. Uh, Donna had to have her memory wiped. Clara had the Doctor's memory wiped. Ah, oh, Clara. I've skipped over somebody there. Oh, Amy and Rory got uh, Amy and Rory got zapped back by the Angel. Yeah. I suppose John Barrowman walked away back to his team. Uh, sorry, Captain Jack walked back to his team, which I guess counts. And then Bill died. And now... Oh, and Graham and... Uh, Graham and Ryan went away on their own terms. Oh, they yeah, they just decided to stop travelling, didn't they? So. Yeah, Graham, I, I Graham, got, Graham, Graham got sick of there being no food and no no shitter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I could fully sympathise with. It's interesting Absolutely. you mentioned, we say about them, like getting tired of travelling. If I've got my timeline right here, Liz would have done no travelling because the Doctor has been yeah. exiled to Earth. So her, her time as a companion, she wouldn't have experienced what other companion i suppose the the appeal to a lot of companions with the doctor is the the travelling and like mean, martha mentioned it in in the episode blink didn't we that we recently covered she goes he promised me you know all of space and time you know and yeah liz didn't have that for liz i guess it was it was a job <laughs> this was her employment
1: you know yeah exactly but it's seems anyway as soon as you don't feel valued in your in your employment you're going to look somewhere else aren't you mm. so I I understand that and I kind of respect the way they wrote it out. They didn't just gloss over a leaving, but then they didn't just, you know, pass it, you know, palm it off. They gave some thought into why the character wasn't there anymore. So fair play to that for me. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean,
0: we'll get to the rough, the uh, rough gist of the plot or how the plot starts, shall we? Uh, We've effectively got unit, the brigadier and so on being called in to investigate some funny goings on at a I suppose a big scientific drilling expedition
1: of some sort. It's, an, it? it's another another episode we're covering with a bloody drill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you know, trying to uncover something? we've We've had uh, we've had blasts looking for the tomb of the Cybermen. We've had Daleks drilling into the Earth's core. We've had I'm sure we've had another one with a drill somewhere. And now we've it's got, either a drill or a quarry or both. There, there is no. There is nothing to be uh, to be changed about.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, effectively, you mentioned that the Daleks drilling into the Earth's core. That's kind of what we're, we're doing here. This, this—they're looking for a new, a new power source, aren't they? You know, nuclear power yeah. and and all this sort of stuff. And there's side effects to the drilling. There's green ooze that is incredibly dangerous. Um, and that's, but the unit has been called in because there's been at least one murder. So the Doctor is present in this drilling, and we get quite a collection of characters associated with with this project don't we Done.
1: we certainly do but the, um the one of the first things we uh, we see made me make a poo joke and it's uh, a fella in a gray suit called sir keith gets sent to the number two output pipe <laughs> that sounds like a butt pipe. yeah and uh it's got to be fixed, and uh, Professor Stallman doesn't want any days, but um, the fellow playing Sir Keith actually has a modern Who connection. Oh, okay. uh, it's an actor called Christopher Benjamin, and he played Colonel Hugh in the episode, episode Unicorn and the Wasp, which was basically uh, when the doctor and Donna went, to tenant's doctor and Donna went to meet uh, Agatha Christie, and it ended up being like a fully-fledged uh, murder mystery. Right. Okay. Was, See, oh oh the, uh, I've seen yeah, that. Was oh, the, I can't um, remember him. It was only a bit part. Oh. It was. It, it was, it was the. It was. They were interviewing. Him, the bit that always makes me chuckle is when they're interviewing everybody, and they're saying, "Oh, where were you at? You know, four o'clock this afternoon." And um, one guy says, "Oh, I was out for a stroll on my own." And were you really on your own? He's like, "Yes." And it turns out he'd gone to meet. Uh, he'd gone for a, uh, a liaison, shall we say, with the uh, with his secret boyfriend. Um, right. Another one of the party was uh, the, sorry. The hostess was. She, so I was, I was just, uh, I was just doing some reading this afternoon. And she wasn't. She was getting pissed. Um, and <laughs> they say to, uh, they say to Colonel Hume and what were you doing? Said so, I was looking over some old, uh, some old army memoirs, and he was looking at nineteen uh, twenties porn <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Wonder what about that stuck in my mind. Um, Yeah, yeah. But you say about the um, the characters. I I have to call it now. They did an incredible job in this serial with making one of the most detestable characters we've encountered on this show. Oh, did they they ever? I have have not hated somebody as much as Professor Starman since um, Henry Van Staten when we covered Dalek. Yeah, this guy's what a pompous arrogant know-it-all piece of human garbage yeah just an absolute
0: tool uh he's the uh, the the guy in charge isn't he he's he's the um the head of the drilling project yeah and it's quite interesting as well because I mean, effectively i imagine most people listening to this will, will have the rough idea of what this story is about the, the doctor ends up at some point getting sent off to a parallel universe a parallel world mm. and a lot of the characters that we see in I suppose, for want of a better term, our world, our timeline, the original, uh, the original time, they're all there as well in the alternate universe, but there's slight differences. Like some of them are a bit more colder. Some of them are. <laughs> Professor Stallman, he's he's an absolute dickhead in both.
1: Yeah, the alternate universe is is effectively populated by a fascist regime, so essentially Nazi yes. allegory. Uh, so it's essentially, Nazi versions of every almost every character. Stallman doesn't change, and in fact, the, the Stalman in the uh, in the the regular world, so to speak, might actually be more detestable than the one in the Nazi Mm. universe. God, we're back onto Nazis again. I'll tell you what, as soon as you brought them out, (laughs) Nazis, it's,
0: there's a few, that they refer to it as a fascist regime, don't they? They say Britain is under fascist rule. They never actually use the term Nazi for obvious reasons. However, they really get close to that line, don't they? There's certain oh. hand gestures that made. Liz made a certain hand gesture at one stage, and I was like, whoa, that's not a good look. The certain type of marching some of the soldiers are doing. There's a lot of um, very much borrowed from the Nazis in, in these characters, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and it was um, very reminiscent of the uh, uh, the Khaled's uh, when we looked at um, the Tom Baker serial. Mm-hmm. You know, similar there again. You know, it's you can you can easily see where they've drawn the uh, drawn the inspiration from, and it's it's effective. Um, but I, I always like this sort of alternate universe kind of stuff um, because it gives the actors a chance to show the range. Like one thing, yeah, the totally. uh, one, one TV series I absolutely love is The Flash. Um, you know, based on the DC Comics property, and that has. Like alternate universes and a bit of time traveling and all the rest of it, but there is always one character, and it's a version of Harrison Wells in every single series. Okay, but it gives that that actor has been has been given the chance to portray. I think uh, it's got to be at least ten different ver- alternate universe versions of the same character. Why? All right. And it's just great to see the range. You know, when they've got like a they have like a, a, a an interdimensional meeting of all the different Harrison Wellses. Okay. So he's got about, there's about five different versions of himself all conversing and trying to figure out this problem. So anything like this with the alternate universe is absolutely love, except, except for Stalman, because his character doesn't freaking change.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned there about the actors getting to use uh, sort of different different talents and, uh, and explore their range of character and so on. I mean, Carol and John, who played. Liz Shaw and Nicholas Courtney, mm. who played the Brigadier, they have both gone on record in interviews and so on, saying that this was their favourite story when they were in Who mm-hmm. because of
1: exactly the reasons you mentioned there. And you can tell that they're enjoying what they're doing because they're putting a hell of a lot into it. They're like fair enough, they have like the odd you know physical difference, like you know Liz's hair is different. The Brigadier has got an eye patch and a scar and no mustache. Yeah, but they are putting everything into. Like being completely removed from the original characters, um, the, brigadier, the sort of, when it's the brigade leader in the alternate universe, his, the, there's a whole thing in the later in the serial about when he's just sort of breaking down at the prospect of of being left to die, essentially, mm-hmm. and he's losing his he's losing his rag, but he thinks he's holding it together, and his people cotton on to how much of a dick he's being, and, and that gradual sort of descent into almost madness. It was fantastic. It was well written, well acted. And I'm I thought repeat, for i I'm second. gonna repeat that a lot. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. I fought for a split second at that moment, and we we're jumping very, very, very far ahead. But I thought for a split second he was actually crying. And I had to double take to see if he was. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't, but it came across like he was about to
1: have a wobble, you know? Yeah, came very close to it and it was it was very well done. But um if we if we're skipping back to the um sort to of the start with have uh, you know, we're introduced to uh, Sir Keith and Stallman. It's obvious they don't see eye to eye because Sir Keith's advising caution. Stallman's insistent that they can just keep ploughing forward with, and even accelerate the drilling because he wants to get into the earth's crust and find what he's calling Stallman's gas. So he's apparently mining for his own farts. Um, <laughs> he comes across as the type of person who would love the smell of his own farts. Yeah, I've got to save your own flavour, mate. Yeah, it's, that's Stallman <laughs> all over. Um we see that there's a, a technician who who's fixing the uh who's fixing the uh, the rectum, uh, the number two output pipe. Um, <laughs> and he, took, he, he sees this green slime, you know, oozing out whatever it is, and it instantly, you know, stains his skin and sets off a mutation. But we're also introduced to uh, another character called uh, called uh, Sutton. Yeah, uh, Greg Sutton comes in. This was this was a really done, really well done. Character development of Sutton, sort of throughout the serial, because he comes in and he's a, a bit arrogant, and he he seems a bit of a jack the lad. Yeah, he seems very confident in his own knowledge, doesn't he? Yeah, and then, but then you know, he first he first meets Petra, who's mm-hmm. Stallman's uh, personal assistant, second in command. However you want to, you know, however you, however you want to see it. And the, yeah. the first thing he does is flirt with her. You know, yeah. he's trying, he's trying to pull her. In a very unsubtle, ungentlemanly kind of way, shall we say? <laughs> and I love Petra shoots him down really nicely, which instantly showed me what she was all about. She says, "I'm Professor Starman's personal assistant. I'm not a typist, and I'm not available for borrowing." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <That was pretty laughs> which is it's the most eloquent fuck off ever.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Petra there very quickly when I was looking into a couple of the people in this. In this, I'm quite morbid. I'll be honest, I'm quite morbid. When I watch a programme of a certain age, and I get this from my dad, because my dad's always done it as well, I've got to look back and see who's still alive. Yeah. And I've always kind of been that way. So when I was doing this, I looked at um, Sheila Dunn, who's who's the actress who played Petra. It turns out her dad invented the bulletproof engine that went on the Spitfire in World
1: War II. Oh, wow. That's pretty best, is not it? Yeah, just a little bit. I I mean, I looked into it. I went on to IMDB. It turns out she'd already been involved in a couple of serials before this. Yeah, like in In, The uh, the Invasion, yeah. Yeah, she was in The Invasion. She was a phone operator uh, when it was Patrick Troughton, and she played uh, Blossom LaFavre in uh, the Feast of the Seven serial under Hartnell. Okay, I've not seen those, I don't think, so... Well, oh, there she is. Oh, interesting. And I, I, was looking, I was looking into the cast for Inferno, and I'm sure I saw that one of the cast ended up living till about to be about hundred and one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean basically, not to
1: sort of put a damper
0: on things, pretty much everyone in this is dead. You know, pretty much well, everyone it was in this is dead. I mean, it
1: was fifty-two years ago.
0: Yeah, that's true, that's true. I mean, um Benton is still alive, but pretty much everyone else yeah. who I could click on and have a look online they were, they will they will pass away at varying ages and so on. So yeah, there we go. That's me killing the mood.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Benton—the uh, guy who played Benton, John Levine. Um, he started on Doctor Who as a Cyberman in 1967's Moonbase serial, and was also a really? uh, Yeti in the uh, Web of Fear in 1968, both under Troughton, And he's reprised the role of Benton as recently as I think as 2016. Yeah, that's cool. So I love stuff like that. Again, behind the makeup, isn't it? Behind the monster,
0: who is playing the the Cyberman, who is playing the you know whatever aliens we're, we're encountering.
1: And so on. I love that sort of stuff. Yeah, I t- uh, just going back to the uh, to where we were in the in the serial though, we've had a good few minutes already of the serial and not seen the Doctor yet, mm-hmm. yep. which is, which sort of struck me as interesting. But then we find out that he's you know Stalman's got this uh, aversion to any form of help or experts or any safety protocols. He's very much a head down, crack on, do what I say, don't question me. Wants to be. It was a bit like Cleeg um, in a Team of the Cybermen*. Yes, and he, he very much he very much got into a uh, a dick measuring con an intelligence dick measuring contest with the <laughs> uh, uh, with the doctor to uh, to reprise an old uh, an old saying I did, um, but we find the doctor finally comes in. It's blatantly obvious that everybody's saying to to Starman, just chill your beans for a second. You're yeah, not is waiting for a few more hours won't won't kill you, but he's just not listening. He's just an arrogant sod.
0: I'll be honest with you, that's one thing that, and I, I may have missed it, so if I have, please, please explain away, but that's one thing that I don't think ever quite gets explained. Why does Stallman feel it necessary to this last tiny bit of the drilling, this last couple of days of drilling, risk all risk all, to just smash through? Why doesn't he just ease off a bit? It's- Again, it comes down to his arrogance, so I appreciate that, but it, to me it makes no sense when everyone is saying one thing and he is pig-headedly going, "Nope, we're going to do it like
1: this. But he doesn't give a reason for his belief in that? I think it's meant to be a bit like it's a bit like Moby Dick, the obsession with the white whale and catching the white whale above all else and getting it as quickly as possible and needs it now, you know, wants it yesterday. Stallman is just so obsessed with <laughs> getting this new energy source and proving himself right. And being essentially being the savior of the human race by finding this new energy source, that he has to do it and he wants it done as soon as possible. His patience as gold, so to speak. It, but yeah, essentially. But that's still that's counterintuitive. That's so counterintuitive to to an intelligent mind. Mm-hmm. You know, for somebody to not to be able to say, "Okay, I've wanted to do," you know, i wanted this has been my my life's work, you know, whatever." You know, so, oh, so what if this puts the, this at risk? It won't happen. It'll be fine. Mm. And it's all, he's almost burying his head in the sand as to the um, yeah. as to the dangers. In fact, he eats. That's that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. Even you know calls the expert. <laughs> it's something that sort of struck struck me as quite uh, quite timely because he, he calls experts a waste of valuable time and money, and I got sick to the back teeth of hearing that through about things to do with first Brexit and then COVID, where people just weren't listening to what people far more trained and intelligent yeah. than on a subject than themselves were saying. I was like, God, it's like it, it, this was 52 years ago and it's still still timely. Um, <laughs> but he says that in A Shot of the Doctor, and the doctor orders a scientist to give something more lateral compression or he'll blow the main condenser banks, which would cost thousands. And, uh, and then look, just look standing in the answer. It'd be a considerable waste of valuable time and money. And it's just, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's like, <laughs> oh, the sass and the shade. <laughs> yeah.
0: He just, he proper owns him a few times in this, doesn't he? And it's brilliant because it yeah. is that scenario of a term that you used, Dan, when we looked at Tomb of the Cybermen, you have this other character, in this case, Starman, who, who is the cleverest guy in the room until the doctor arrives. And then the doctor is the cleverest guy in the room and they don't like it. There was similarities between him and that scenario and what we covered in Tomb of the Cybermen. I think it's a really good, a really good sort of a really good comparison.
1: Yeah. It's arrogance. It is arrogance born of intelligence. Um, And I say it not long after this, when when he's, uh, when he's berating Sir uh, Sir Keith, which he does quite a lot. So he's one self-important arrogant ass because it's when there was some like stuff starts overloading and, and, Going wrong. Oh, it's after and um, because what's happened is the uh, the engineer uh, who got who touched the slime slocum, uh he's there with you know greeny grey skin, breathing heavily, and he's obviously mutating into something. And he, he goes into mm. the um, he goes into the nuclear reactor and uh, and started. He you know kills a guy and then overloads the reactor. And it's uh, the doctor's experimenting on the TARDIS console with Liz. Um, we get some uh, we get some wee wee beat boop as the um, yes. console gets stuck in the <laughs> vortex and we see uh, john pertwee's face being stretched and manipulated and, and twisted and turned all directions which uh, which i quite liked but that's um that sets off an emergency in the uh, in the drill mm. and stalin's just saying uh, they're saying well it's not a red emergency it's, it's fine
0: <laughs> ah. oh. i'll tell you what it's that, that kind of that kind of mentality it really like when you see old dramatizations of the Titanic sinking and you've got mm. certain officers on the Titanic who are like they are almost in denial that this boat is is letting on water and it's gonna sink and they're gonna and it's gonna be okay. It yeah. comes across very much like that it, yeah okay, well, it's an emergency, but it's not a top level emergency, okay, the boat is sinking, but it's not sinking fast or anything like that. it's like you know it's, it's, it's
1: sinking, but it's not sinking, sinking, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's just the lower decks and the peasants that are going to drown. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You mentioned there about the,
0: I suppose, the change, the mutation, whatever, that the character is going under when he's he's touched this green goo. With with regards to that, and and we see it quite a few times later on in the show as well, I know how much of a sort of old school horror fan you are and so on. I I got quite strong Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde vibes from what they looked like after they were... Mutated with like the extra long hair coming out under their sleeves, yeah. the lab coats, and so on. Also, maybe
1: a bit werewolfy as well. My mind went instantly to uh, to to werewolves made out of bogies. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be honest, because uh, which is horrific I've, in its own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, they looked pretty good actually, as well. It, it, I think it's a sign that practical effects can sometimes age better than than digital because. Yeah. You can tell the you know somebody t- painstakingly applied all these prosthetics, and even even down to the teeth, it all looked pretty good. My only beef with it again is that there's no reason, there's no real reason given for it. No, I know no. the doctor references that the you know the noise that that the make is something to do with the planet, um, you know, expressing its fury. So it's almost like the Earth is some form of sentience and, and unleash this goo to sort of destroy people, but it doesn't yeah. quite hold water when you realise what the what the drilling's doing later on. So it's just, that that's one of my few bugbears is that it was never fully explained. But then it doesn't necessarily need to be, I suppose. You know, it's, but it, I would have preferred at least something to to give you know, to give us a clue as to why it was doing that. Yeah, what well,
0: yeah. You almost effectively, I suppose, get two stories then, don't you? Because you get the alternative universe and the doctor having plenty of problems when he when he ends up there. And then in the the current time, I suppose the real universe for want of a better term, you've got the green monsters running around there. Now I mean, the doctor says also the screaming noise and, and so on. The similarities to something he experienced in Krakatoa, an, yeah. an eruption in eighteen eighty three, which yeah. is in Indonesia, I believe. It is. Um, I, I I looked up Krakatoa to see if it was a real thing because right? <laughs> I'd never heard of it before, yeah. right? And it's interesting because it says Krakatoa. This is when you Google it, it brings up on screen about like Krakatoa, the, the basically in, in the Indonesia, a collection of islands, and they're all effectively volcanoes, right? <laughs> and, yeah. then they, and, they, and they still erupt on a regular basis. It literally says, Krakatoa last erupted in late 2020. The very next line says, three-star hotel,
1: 69 quid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not a holiday destination yeah. I'd fancy, mate, you know? I would. It's a, I've just remembered as well. There's a there's an Indonesian restaurant um, in New York called Krakatoa, and that's how I always Is there remember really? it. <laughs> yeah, really nice there, as well. Actually, <laughs> we should go there next weekend. Oh, how are you? Spicy food? It will blow your head off. Yeah, I don't mind a bit of spice, but not too much, mate. Not too much. It's, it's right round the corner from my new. It's right round the corner from my new office. I'm I'm excited. Ah,
0: nice. Okay. <laughs>
1: anyway enough about enough about food
0: yeah about volcanoes (laughs) and curries (laughs) eventually we get the doctor as we said sent to this alternate dimension don't we
1: this alternate world yeah well yeah there's there's a there's a bit before that because it obviously and again this is where it comes into where some of it's maybe a bit um uh, my phone just felt sorry about that Uh, it comes into where it's maybe a bit a bit meandering because we have a lot of we actually have a quite a bit of action with the doctor trying to take out Slocum and other other people who've been in contact with him and mutated there's all sorts about them there's all sorts of them harbouring uh, heat as well yeah he runs up to the top of like
0: I suppose the drilling area doesn't he and they're fighting up there and so on
1: yeah it's like some sort of giant coolant tank or something like that it's um yeah there's all sorts of that going on and it's uh it's decent action it is um you know this is we're getting into part two. Um when they've they've dealt with the emergency and Sutton's made a joke about having a new medal minted called the Order of the Turkish Bath. Um, it's, yeah, it's just you get more Stalman arrogance and dislikability yeah. saying uh, you know, uh, Sir Keith's using it as a as a thing saying, look, this is why we need more precautions. You know, it's impossible to factor in all the all the variables. Stallman says he he can't make allowances for incompetence, as if equipment failure is somehow somebody's fault. Mm. And it's... This second part is a lot of... sort of... a lot of going into how tough the monsters are, how hard they are to kill, why are they like that, and sort of reinforcing the characters of Stallman, Petra, Sutton, etc. But it... So it's all good stuff, but it doesn't actually do a whole lot. You know, it, it could it could have n- not been there. But then I don't think the rest of the the serial works as well without all that background.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on because I, I look at some of the other stories that we've covered, and you've got background characters who make up who are important in this, aren't They they, they make up big parts of the story. Because this is seven parts long you've almost got like a whole episode dedicated to building up those characters and their backgrounds and getting to know them as characters, as opposed to just being like, I don't know, uh, this person works in the lab. This person's an engineer. This person's this. They, they actually develop more character wise. So come the end of the serial, I care more about them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like I say, without, while it, this, Second part may not be necessary, may not be 100% necessary for where the story goes and how things play out. It, it is kind of necessary in giving you that emotional connection and uh, with the characters, you know, one way or another, where it's like, whether it's like or dislike, and, and making you actually, ultimately, actually give a shit. Because th- there's yeah. a bit in this where Stallman's um, saying about the green goo, where, you know, it can be, you know, it needs to be analysed, and Sir Keith said, but it's already defied all categorisation. But you know Stalin's doubling down on it and all the rest of it. Um, the doctor doesn't think it'll cool down, and Stalin just, "Which around, Who the devil asked you?" And he's, getting, <laughs> ah. he's getting proper narky about it all, this, Stalin. And the doctor's there, just like I'm just venturing an opinion. Yeah, and he's there, just saying, you know, he's basically giving it. Hey, chill your beans, big man. I'm not, you know, yeah. no need to, again, real class. No need to, really get, touchy, really. no need to get touchy, darling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Speaking of speaking of getting touchy they're looking at this collection of the green goo i keep referring to it as green goo i can't really think of any of a better way of you know a better term of explaining it but it's in a heat resistant glass or beaker of some description because obviously mm. it is incredibly hot it, it's it's damaged the beaker and this is where starman yeah. picks it up puts it away and effectively gets himself infected doesn't he it, it, it's on his hands and yeah. and so on so that kind of very, very early on here, but that does start his kind of change, I guess.
1: Yeah, and you get and you get a great um, you get a great line from the doctor who loses patience, finally loses patience with um, with Stalman, and uh, you know because he, he keeps saying, you know, I, I'd have got to the same, I'd have got to the same uh, conclusion as the doctor, and, you know, giving all that, and, and um, uh, Sir Keith saying, took the doctor ten minutes. You had a team of mathematicians working on it for a month. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? Come on, you know, and, and you know, Stanley's still saying his calculations are more specific. He's correct. The computer that's showing a problem is wrong. You know, yeah. just, it, it, it has to be wrong because he's right and all the rest of it. And the doctor's <laughs> says, I'll, I'll tell you something that should be of vital import, a vital interest to you, professor, that you, sir, are a nitwit.
0: <laughs> very English, very British put down, yeah. is it? Very much, as a matter of fact, you're a nitwit. It's <laughs> very, very
1: yeah, but factual and... But it's delivered with good venom. Yeah, you know, I've never heard the word nitwit actually sound like an insult. It's always sounded pretty funny to me, and that's the closest as anyone's ever going to get. And then he just literally starts. Doctor just gets very blunt again, and he's looking at the message reviews. Well, look at it, man. He's blind, and it's an actual bit of anger that Stalman is just so much of an arrogant twat that he will not, will not be told. And the doctor, listen, he's got this absolute tunnel vision. Yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And you say about Stallman getting himself infected? I saw the weird eye twitch in his hand going green. I've written in my notes, yes, fuck you, Stallman. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I don't, I, do you know what? I've not. I've, I've only. I've done that for one other character, and that was the um, oh, the guy in the uh, the Sylvester McCoy serial. What was his name? The fake army guy, the survivor, oh, yeah. the wannabe survivalist. He was a dick and all
0: yeah he was he was an absolute tool yes indeed i mean starman he's he's banging on about going faster and faster and so on all the computers as you say dan are saying to stop drilling that all the readouts are saying to stop and that's that's literally what they referred to as the computers it's not a time in i suppose history or science fiction or whatever where they need to go into more details than that because i imagine the majority of people in 1970. They hear the term computer. They see it as this big sci- sci-fi wibbly wobbly thing because it's not common practice at, in 1970 to have effectively computers in your home or computers in your pocket, even so to speak, with your mobile phones. All the computers oh, no, but- are saying, "Stop!" <laughs> Professor Stalin once says, "No, we're going to go 12% faster."
1: It's um, was it? There's a. Uh... Oh, never mind. I can't. There was a tenant thing. There's a tenant episode somewhere where he's sort of bemoaning the same thing, you know, in, in humanity, where he's, where he's saying, you know, should you know, what what should we do? Should we uh, should we shut that down? No, let's make it bigger. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember where yeah. that quote's from, but I've seen that. I've seen that revived in some like comedy videos recently, and it's just like, oh yeah, that that works. That is exactly how people are. I tell you what, I do like in this. The doctor breaks out his Venusian karate. Oh.
0: I'll tell you what, I've got a few notes about this, because it happens a few times during this show, doesn't it? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Dan? Because I'm, I, I personally don't think this has aged very well
1: at all. I, I enjoy it in the same way I enjoy Glimmer Man, which is a Steven Seagal film. It's ridiculous. There is no way physically that it would ever work. But I'm in for it because it's a guy dressed as this version of the doctor's dressed with his huge, you know, cravat and is, you know, is. Well, I don't even know the word for it, but just all frills and and it, I think the, it was referred to in one of the uh, the multi doctor specials as, as a fop, right? You know, like uh, which was you know essentially um, somebody you know rock around courts in the in the 16 or 1700s in you know, all frills and lace yeah. and. And luxury and all that and yet here he is just taking people out with a touch yeah i i i'm in for it it's, it's cheesy enough for me to like it oh, see i find it a bit cringe you know i kind of just wanted starman to be paralyzed
0: <laughs> fair enough it's very it's very spock on star trek isn't it with the whole vulcan grip thingy yeah that's that's the value i got from it i'll take your word for it i've never never really watched much star trek Ah, yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, I haven't either, but I've seen that. You know, where he yeah, don't I, I it. He yeah. does not the, the grab of the neck, and the guy just drops to the floor. It's kind of that kind of, you know.
1: Yeah, and then later on, when he's been escorted by two of the two of the guards and the alternate alternate Earth, and he manages to flip them both to the backs with yeah, <laughs> like he's, that. Like I he's just like
0: his twirling ribbons. That I did enjoy because he did it before he did it, and again in a very British stiff upper lip way, he apologised for for it. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very sorry, gentlemen, and then just kicks their asses.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was good. Um, but it's because Stallman's sabotaging the computer that's, that's giving, the, uh, giving the warning readings. That's yes. the whole thing. Um, and after that, they have a confrontation. Stallman accuses the Doctor of the very thing he's been doing and shuts off the power to, um, uh, to the, uh, the TARDIS console that the Doctor's been working on. Yeah, and is um, like
0: is 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 hut, isn't it? They refer to as? It's like a, you know, it's like a garage, I guess, where he's working on a few bits and bobs.
1: Yeah, basically, yeah, it's like a the hut garage shed. Hmm. So I, think, I need to say as well, love the yellow car.
0: Oh, is it Bessie? It's referred to
1: as, isn't it? Bessie, yeah, yeah, love, love Bessie. I mean, you come from a TARDIS to that weird, like nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, odd little yellow car, but fair enough. It's the exact kind of thing I could see any version of the Doctor driving. He um, ran over a stunt man making this story. Did he,
0: John Yeah, he hit he hit a stunt man with a car, and apparently the stunt man like couldn't work and was was like quite bad. He got hit quite bad, and it made Ooh. John Pertwee ill because he felt that guilty and was worried that much about it. Like
1: bloody yeah. hell!
0: I'm assuming it would be the scene where they're all chasing him in the alternate universe and jumping on hay yeah. barrels and hay bales and stuff like that. Sorry.
1: Yeah, a lot and well, that was pretty chaotic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can see how accidents had happened there. Uh, yeah. The doctor, serves, the doctor, basically sends Liz away on some sort of pretext to, you know, he's just asking, can you just go do this for us? I'm too tired to do these calculations. I mean, just go punch me into the computer, will you please? And it's, it was quite like sort of it was quite like it seemed like quite a quite a nice, easy sort of easygoing sort of friendship. Yeah. Um, at that point, um, but the doctor's doing another test run, and the TARDIS console, the uh, it starts shaking. Starmans taking readings, finds out someone's using extra power. Shuts the power off, and the console dematerializes, and he's he's lost, possibly lost in the vortex, and that's a really nice sort of cliffhanger. Yeah, it's, it just disappears as as the brigadier and Liz
0: run back into the the hut again, see yeah. him there, and he kind of looks up at them, and then just gone, <laughs> and and that's yeah. the end of the you know that's it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and season three starts with the with them trying to get the power back to the the console to get the Doctor back. Stallman. As much as I don't like him, he has an excellent bit of bastardry with this line where he says, "I denied the man a power source Why, when he was under my feet. I'm certainly not going to reconnect it now he's gone."
0: Yeah, just does just, not give a
1: shit.
0: It's very mad scientist vibes. I get you know very much. Okay, you know,
1: yes, that out of the it, house yeah. and,
0: Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, Frankenstein wants his monster. Yeah, exactly. The Doctor. We see him next. He's on. He's on the deck, isn't he? He's on the floor in his hut. He wakes mm-hmm. up, and and this is where I think that this this serial is really well done because it's an alternate universe so a lot of what we're seeing is the same as shall we say the real universe the, the original universe but there's just little things that are slightly off you know yeah. like the car is the wrong way around for example
1: mm. there's the, the poster that says unity is strength
0: yeah and you know, just, again, we, we, you, you went for it earlier on with the Brigadier's moustache being missing and he's got an eye patch instead. Just little touches where it's the same people in the same jobs, doing the mm-hmm. same sort of same sort of role, but just slightly different and slightly off. You know, I mean, it was yeah. really
1: well done. Yeah, it was um, because you, it's the same hook, but a lot of the equipment's either moved or been replaced. There's that poster with that guy with the moustache on it. who We never find out who that is, but it must be the ruler of... Of Britain at that time you know the, the, but Britain's a Republican not a monarchy is it, um, is it someone famous and you and me just got no clue? Could be hmm. Could be I ain't going got a Scooby I didn't bother looking it up you look, <laughs> a, look into that for next week mate <laughs> I'm I'm gonna forget but okay. we get this <laughs> we get this sort of nice we get a few of these Well, it's like it's sort of a nice action sequence where the Doctor's driving out you know driving off and running away from the, the soldiers as Couple of good bits where a soldier gets in the back of the car and he's grappling with the doctor before throwing, uh, being thrown onto some conveniently placed hay. Yeah. Um, the doctor, <laughs> I just got a kick out of the doctor hiding in a bin.
0: That was awesome, and the reveal when he, he he's in the bin and he stands up and he's got the bin lid on
1: his head. <laughs> that, that was yeah. fantastic. Really? It just made me think of Top Cat. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> Top Cat. Bloody hell. I'll
0: tell you what. That yeah, scene as well. In. That 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 fight scene where, well, fight scene, chase scene, however you want to word it, with all the, the unit soldiers, except they're not called unit here, uh, shooting at the doctor, trying to catch him and so on. There's a moment very similar to the Dalek invasion of Earth when, do you remember that guy who climbed up on the ramp and said he's got a plan and his big yeah. plan was to just jump off the ramp and in it he just looked like an idiot because it was just yep. nothing. Someone does that here as well. They they're, they're running along and really dramatically get to the top of the, I think it's more hay, and you're looking at it, and they go to jump, like like in the beginning of the 18, when you see people jump in from the the heights onto the vehicles and so on. Mm. But the car's nowhere near him. He's literally just chosen that route to try and catch up, and he does this huge dramatic leap, and just covers two yards, lands, and carries on running. It was the most completely <laughs> pointless thing ever, and it just reminded me that. of that. Yeah, it was just reminded me of that guy in in Dalek Invasion of Earth. He's like, I've got a plan. This plan was actually just dunk, jump three yards to the left. You know,
1: it's, it's similar sort of nonsense. <laughs> you know? It's the uh, it's the Baldric. Um, it's the Baldric thing. Oh, I have a cunning plan. Exactly. And you do <laughs> shit all. Um, but yeah, it's and all this is to he, he, he encounters one of the uh, one of the sort of mutants and uses a fire extinguisher on it because he figures mm. that the fire ex- the you know they prefer heat so fire extinguisher cools them down etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then we find that we get the alternate. We get. I've, I've dubbed Evil Liz. Um, Evil because, Liz. Yeah, that works. Yeah, Evil Liz. But I spelled it E-V-I-L-I-Z in my notes. Uh, that was literally for <laughs> nobody else but me. Just had to do it, and um, basically it becomes an extended interrogation. Yeah. Um, where they just, no matter what's happening, Liz, uh, Evil Liz, and and Evil Brigadier uh, or Brigade Leader, uh, trying to get out of the doctor who he is where he's from whatever and he tells him the truth it's just the truth is so mental that they don't believe him
0: he refers to himself as dr john smith as well doesn't he which i love because that yeah. keeps coming up again for doctor who for years and years doesn't it
1: and still does or yeah did until jodie
0: whittaker took over yeah that's it it's uh i mean liz as well with the dark hair i think she bloody great with dark hair yeah it was a bad yeah, look but- than her normal color
1: uh, disagree, but I'll go with it. Okay. Perhaps like <laughs> just like Nazi women, I don't know. You like uh, you like strong, aggressive, dominant women.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe. is sure a bit right, scary
1: I'll find out next week, won't <laughs> I?
0: You will, you will, when you're gonna potentially meet me and the wife. Um she punches me in the face. <laughs> You're the one who's got my husband spending Saturday afternoon watching TV that's 50 years old, are you? <laughs> I'd like to find out this was our
1: size did. Well, yeah.
0: um, <laughs> in this alternate universe we find out that the drilling project is happening there as well, but they're much more advanced. They're much further down the line, aren't they? They're a few hours away from breaking through, whereas in the original universe. They're still
1: forty odd hours away. I think. It About was, two days. Right? Yeah. A, this is the point where I realised I'm far too immature for this because I just kept giggling at the at the term penetration zero.
0: Oh my god! So did I. Hey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh dear. Sorry. Just do, just quickly, Doctor. The Doctor basically gets sick of the interrogation and asks to see uh, Professor Stallman And he just gives a great line. Says he might be an uneducated oaf but at least he's a scientist.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: great as well, isn't it?
0: You know he asks for Sir Keith as well, and I thought this was brilliant. And again, this is that kind of the, I suppose, the paradoxy kind of stuff we discussed with Blink, where you know, different stuff in different times and so on, because there are a few hours ahead in this reality. Sir Keith has been killed in a car crash going to London, and he's going to London. To basically give a vote of no confidence, I suppose, is, would be the term um, in, sort of, in Stalin. Yeah. And, and sort of basically, basically dob him in for the a <laughs> <deck. laughs> You keep calling him Stalin. Stalin. Oh, do I really? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Stalman. Stalman. There we go. He's basically yeah. going to go and uh, expose him to being a moron, isn't he? Let's be honest. He's dangerous stuff and so on. So, Stalman ends up getting the, um, he doesn't want this to happen because it would disrupt his, his project. So he basically, you know, decides to have him bumped off in this time frame. Now, in our time frame, like the original time frame, he's only just starting to talk about going to London. So we're getting like a sort of pre- preemptive example of what's going to happen, I guess, aren't we?
1: Yeah, we are. It's um, it, it's it's not quite sort of looking at a look into the future, but because it's a parallel Earth and, and there's so many similarities, you do get. The doctor and, and the and people watching do get the sense that okay, he needs to get back sharpish yeah. and stop all this from happening. So it's it's a really good way to uh, it's a really good way to get around the problem that the doctor can't effectively leave Earth, mm-hmm. and in, in essence, he hasn't. He keeps referencing that he slid sideways into another dimension because he's got the TARDIS console on, and it was yeah re- again really clever writing to get around it. I yeah. really enjoyed that. Um We see sort of. As much as Starman's character hasn't changed, neither is uh, neither is Sutton's in the uh, in the alternate universe. He's still right. very much con- he's still very much concerned with the safety of the whole thing. You know, so there's there's no safeguard for the drill head, and you know, pre- the pressures there's no pressure in the cooling pipes and stuff like that. So he's still wanting to to sort of slow it down, but because of the way it's framed, with everybody blindly following Starman's orders, he comes across a bit more on the heroic side of things in this, Mm. you know, in this part, Uh, sorry, from sort of in this universe and from going on here. And he becomes something of a a dissenter, you know, he's there, he's getting told, you know, that he's, he's insubordinate and it'll cost him. And he's, he's basically just, if if you've ever seen V for Vendetta, which I'm guessing you haven't. No. um, There's a point in that where uh, Natalie Portman's character has been interrogated for years and been held and tortured and, and whatnot. And she just looks him straight in the eye and just says, they say give us the whereabouts of, of V and she just looks just, I'd rather be shot behind the chemical shits. And, <laughs> and that's what Sutton's doing here. He's saying, I no, don't give a shit. You can do whatever you want to me. You're going to shoot you anyway. Yeah. You're going to shoot me anyway. So I'm going to keep voicing what I think's right. And there is that it, kind of, good. I suppose just, uh, I suppose
0: it's the kind of Nazi-esque, fascist, fascist regime kind of atmosphere that they're, they're putting forward in these characters There is this kind of whole vibe of in this alternate universe, in this universe that the Doctor is in in now, if you screw up, they just don't think twice about putting a bullet in your head and you're done.
1: No. Incompetence leads to death. Yeah. Dissension leads to death. Not obeying orders leads to death. And we, we, in this universe, we're a few hours away from the uh, the drilling being complete. Um, The number two two pipes out again. It's, It's a bad leak. Stalin's calling it a minor detail. Sutton's saying there's no such thing as a minor detail around the drill head, you know, around the drill head. Mm. Um, it's you know, it's all kicking off. The uh, the doctor uses Venushin karate again to get away from the soldiers, and it's um, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's going off proper, and they're going to have to get in there and try and fix it. Um, and the, effectively, it ends with the doctor trying to um, fix the computer that was that was sabotaged on the. On the original earth and it has been sabotaged here and it this part effectively ends with the doctor at gunpoint yeah just which again another good cliffhanger it was because he's
0: literally there saying i've got to repair this yeah or basically everyone dies but then benton is there with a gun saying if you carry on you're going to die it's like damned if you do damned if you don't kind of scenario which way do you turn and then the music hits it's brilliantly done
1: yeah, really well done, yeah, I love it, and Particularly from a character like Benton, who's obviously been in you know been in the serial for a little while. And Again, he's a long fella. Of, Yeah, but such a removal from from mm. how you're used to seeing him. And really great, really, really great way to uh, to let the actor show off a bit of rage. Yeah, um, exactly. And then part four starts with a re- essentially a recap argument about the Doctor and trying to sabotage things. Mm. But what I like is Sutton gets more of a voice and asks the Doctor so, to summarize the issue. And we get one of, the, one of the things I like, which is a technical explanation that nobody can, no average person watching could prove or disprove. So the pressure and heat are overwhelming the present velocity of the drill bit. You need to disperse heat and pressure by creating a reverse vortex at the bottom of the, sh- bottom of the shaft by reversing all the systems. And, you know, Stallman's annoyed that it'd bring the program to a standstill. Sutton says it's worth a try. They, they just argue about the plan and doctors suggest just siphoning all the coolant down to draw up any debris and just basically cool the system down, and then start the drilling again. Mm-hmm. Stallman's, Stallman gives in, but still like, well, you, the doctor, you're still stupid to the doctor, and the doctor again doubles down on calling him an ungrateful nitwit. <laughs> He's <laughs> so, a nitwit in both universes. Yeah, but it's just again, it's got you there. The peril's gone, but it, now it's hooked you in with something else because you know that something's going down and still needs to be done. This. the, the the perils change for the Doctor, but it's still in danger.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he carries on being interrogated as well for a long old time in this episode. This, this seems to go on for
1: quite a while, the interrogation yeah, the, of the Doctor this in is, This is one of those bits where it didn't necessarily need to be there. Mm-hmm. there could, it, it could have been a lot shorter. It could have maybe not even existed at all. But without it, you wouldn't sort of feel the stakes were as high. You know, yeah. it was still good for the story, and it's the the, the, the groundwork, I suppose. Yeah, it's just fleshing things out and making it, or making it more. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling for the word. It, it's just, it's just incre- it's, it's like increasing the stakes and, and and making it, making all the characters more relatable. That are, well, not necessarily relatable, but more fleshed out, and, and just giving mm-hmm. you more reasons to care. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially the um, way the Doctor appeals to lit. Sorry, just one last thing on this bit. Um, yeah, sure. because. Again, it's something that felt all too po- all too poignant at the minute. Um, he says to Elizabeth, he says Elizabeth, please try to think. Whatever they taught you in this bigoted world, you've still got a mind of your own. Mm. And Christ Almighty, if that doesn't appeal to a lot of people today, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very Not much to get so. again, I've, I've made a couple of references to it now. I don't want to get political, but just I'm I'm sure we've all felt that way with people, you know. Particularly over, over the past few years, just say, look, just take a second, take a breath, yeah, and think.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, the doctor is effectively thrown into prison, isn't he? He's got a cell, and uh, yeah, next to him is somebody under a blanket in another cell. Now, it looks the, like he's having a wank. Yeah, yeah, he looks like he's having a right jolly old time there, and he, entertaining himself. Um, I've got a slight issue with this because the the, the cell itself. It's kind of quite spacious between the bars, shall we say? And when, yeah. John Pertwee, when John Pertwee stands up and walks towards the bars to talk to Liz and uh, uh, the Brigadier and so on, it looks fine. When John Pertwee half turns sideways, I'm thinking, you know what, if he sucked in a little bit, he could probably slide through there.
1: If David Tennant was there, he'd have got, he'd have got away instantly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a very <laughs> well-constructed really? prison. No, it but... I think it's just one of those things where you have to just accept it and move on because yeah. they can't get any better from that point. You know, they've done the best they could. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, yeah, it's... It, the one thing that confused me is because we, we find out later on that the, uh, the the person in the other cell is, is somebody who's mutating. Mm-hmm. So I think the doctor at one point calls it a retrogression of the body's cells. Fair okay. enough. Sounds, sounds science. <laughs> sound, I'll go with it. Um, the The mutant... Creature, whatever, bends the bars. Yeah. After he's, after he's beating one of the guards to death, bends the bars. Gets in the doctor's cell. The doctor uses his mattress.
0: Yeah, the doctor beats so, him with a, like one of those really skinny mattresses that you get when you buy cheap, cheap bunk beds when you got you know you got young kids for the first time, and the mattresses are like just really thin and shit. He beats yeah. him up with a
1: mattress. Well, it doesn't switch him up. He just uses it to maneuver him out of the way and not get touched by him, and just. Zo- just zooms out of the cell, locks it behind him, and leaves. But why couldn't the mutant just bend the bars on the exterior of the cell? Yeah, that's
0: true. Probably wasted a bit of time there, Doctor, didn't you, locking the door she just pegged it?
1: Yeah, but then the creature also seems in no hurry to bend the bars. Hmm. So I don't know whether it affects intelligence or what, you know, maybe burned a few uh, brain cells away. Um, but one thing I did like as well, just going back a little bit, is that we actually cut back to... Uh, to the Brigadier and Liz in the the, the the first world, the regular world, if you like. Yes. And the Brigadier... The, the, uh, Liz is obviously really worried. You know, she, she knew there wouldn't be a sign of the Doctor. The Brigadier is there hoping that that wretched machine of his dumped him a few miles away. So, but it's not as simple as that. He's, you know, somewhere in space or time. Liz is obviously very worried, and the and Brigadier is there saying, wherever, wherever or whenever he is, he can handle himself. And she's like, she's saying it's not indestructible, and it was just a really nice contrast in their levels of concern. Yeah, yeah. Again, the just doctor, a, a nice little bit to flesh out the story and the characters.
0: But for, for the Brigadier, the Doctor always comes across as a necessary annoyance. That they're <laughs> yeah. deep down, deep down, their friends, but they frustrate each other a lot. You know,
1: almost almost frenemies. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah,
0: yeah. And with regards to jumping back between the dimensions and so on. We start getting a little bit of that here. And this is something that I suppose harks back to what you were saying at the start of the, the show, Dad. We get more and more bouncing back and forth between the two dimensions as the episodes progress. And yeah. the episodes seem to make the story start moving faster from this point on. And it's sort of literally just building up and building up and building up in both dimensions, back and forth, back and forth, more, more jumping between the two. Um, faster scenes, faster dialogue, faster action, and it's building up to the the big the big ending, isn't it? I guess, which I think is really
1: really well done. Yeah, and it, it helps. The, the, this serial builds tension really well, and yeah. has you sort of on the edge. You see, thinking what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And as you come to the end of part four. There's three minutes till uh, till the Earth's crust's penetrated. Stallman's hearing a high pitched whine. The doctor's snuck off into the back of a Land Rover and has joined some uh, some sort of maintenance squad. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives you know. Then it's two minutes to two minutes to the uh, two minutes left on the countdown. Then the doctor's back in the facility. The countdown's still going. The doctor moves to a console. He's spotted by the brigade leader, and he's ordered down at fifty seconds. And then he finally un.masks and orders the countdown stopped. And Stalin orders him shot. Sutton's protesting it's murder. The doctor's warning that if they penetrate the Earth's crust now, it unleash forces you could never dreamed could exist. The countdowns in the final final phase. The Doctor references the planet screaming out its rage. Yeah. Stallman orders him shooting again. Sutton stops him shooting. And the Doctor runs for it, and again the Doctor is held at gunpoint by Stallman as the countdown finishes and, and the episode ends. Just brilliantly done, isn't it? It's like, yeah.
0: I mean, the, the the cliffhangers are a big thing in in classic Who, and you know Doctor Who magazine and various other websites and so on regularly do you know, countdowns of the best doctor the best story they did a few for the best cliffhanger mm. and apparently the later episodes in this serial always feature very high on those countdowns and season six cliffhanger features very very high every time they do a, a countdown right. on the greatest cliffhanger so yeah i mean it's just i just think it's really really well structured and timed and paced for seven episodes it just feels Pretty much spot on to me, really.
1: Yeah, I've said it before about the pacing of these episodes. When you liken it to a wrestling match, I can watch a, t- a 10, 15 minute match that feels like it goes on forever. But there was an, an Undertaker Triple H match at one of the WrestleManias that went forty five minutes and felt like ten. Yeah, because they just suckered you in, and it just it felt it felt like no time had passed at all. Yeah, and, exactly. and you're right. It, it, I think. The, I don't know how they've done it. I don't know if it's just like the fluids of action and then the, a bit more exposition y, but even the exposition is still very well written and well acted. So you 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 it keeps your attention even at a low ebb and you know brings you up, brings you up with the action, puts you back down again. Just yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant. And yeah, really well part, episode five starts in chaos.
0: Yeah. I mean effectively, it? I mean effectively it's the end of the world, I'm assuming. The way the doctor's it, talking it comes about to it. That, yeah. Yeah, basically everyone's just everyone's just toast, man. That's just, just done, you know.
1: Mm. Well, they've the, the penetrated the Earth's crust. The whole facility is shaking. The brigade leaders ordering technicians captured after they've fled the posts. Um, Sutton's talking about uh, talking about uh, capping the bar and basically just capping off with the drilling that's been going on and getting the coolant in there. Um, and then we just get explosions everywhere. The green yeah. goo's flowing up more and more and just... Lather everywhere. And- yeah, just absolutely nuts. Just um, chaos. Yeah, it, it, and even though there were sort of stock footage explosions that were still good, mm. they were still well spliced in. And, yeah, the doctor basically says the heat and pressure will continue to build until the, until the Earth dissolves in a fury of expanding gases just like it was billions of years ago. So, effectively, you've... You've treated the the Earth like a bloated goat and just popped it, and now it's going to go back to how it was. Yeah, and it's really interesting as well, because ultimately,
0: the Doctor wants to get back to his universe, like the original universe, knowing that this is going to happen. He's seen it happen. He wants to get back to his universe to stop it happening in his reality, for want of a better term. Yeah. There's nothing he can do in this alternate reality. Nothing at all. No. And it is that... It is that thing of basically people, all these characters that you've kind of got to know over the last, what we are looking at, hour and a half or so on, hour and 45 minutes of television. They're just kind of all hanging around waiting to die, aren't they?
1: They are now, yeah, but at least, it's going to sound horrible, at least it's the Nazi versions. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. At least it's the fascist versions, but even then, over the course of the Doctor's involvement in this universe, you've seen Sutton and, and, to a lesser degree, Petra Come round to the Doctor's way of thinking and start mm-hmm. to be a bit, you know, a bit more free thinking for themselves. And even by by the end of the serial, uh, Evil Liz has yep. come around to it and realises there's no hope and that the Doctor needs to be helped. Um, but it's it's very strange in that it's one of the rare occasions, at least in terms of what I've seen with modern Who, one of the rare occasions the Doctor the Doctor almost completely fails because the do- the Doctor wants to save this version of Earth. There's no doubt about that, even if it is you know a, you know a fascist version of it he still wants to save people
0: yeah, because that's just that's just his nature isn't it? He always wants to do yeah yeah, the right thing essentially
1: yeah yeah um and he doesn't mm-hmm, but and it's a whole planet it's a whole a whole world, yeah, and you just but you somehow don't feel too bad about it <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> well, because it's just like it's because it's just like well, it's an alternate reality. It's not the main one, and it, it's, it's I, I just found it odd how I found myself rationalising that in my head. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. Didn't, didn't really expect that. It's like oh, okay, that, that's something something new about me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the, the brigadier or brigade leader, I guess, has decided that the doctor is going to take him and Liz with him. To the the original reality, the original dimension, and he, he's saying along the lines of, "He dies with us, or he takes us with him." Effectively, isn't it? it is what he's saying. The doctor yeah, is saying it, that that cannot happen because obviously it'll t- tear a hole in the time paradox and lots of other wibbly wobbly stuff.
1: It's basically it's going to cause a um, some sort of paradox and and rip a hole in the space time continuum or something like that. Mm. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's in. This is what I was saying before about the, the brigade leader descending into into madness trying to save his own skin. And But it's, it's weirdly relatable because, you know, you've got this guy who has a way out. You've been told you're going to die. I can completely understand how you get to the point where you'd do anything to try and be part of that way out. Oh, yeah, it's just human nature, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose, in essence, it makes it a bit weird that the, the rest of them are so sort of willing to accept the fate Mm-hmm. You know, I'm skipping ahead a little bit because we've got a lot of um, a lot of uh, sort of special effects to discuss and things that happen before we get there. But as you know, as the essentially the world's ending and the lava's closing in, they just stood there looking at it. Mm-hmm. And the doctor leaves, and they're just like, "Well, this is it. We're dead. Yeah, going to die horrifically, consumed yeah. by lava.
0: The massive, no, literally a river just pouring towards them, isn't
1: it?" It's an, it's an ocean of lava.
0: Yeah, it's mad. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I suppose you mentioned there about special effects and so on. We get a lot of the, I suppose, the the, the mutated individuals in the next, well, around this episode, don't we? In both dimensions, yeah. people are changing and so on. And to me, it seems that there's a couple of different stages. There's what we're getting with Stallman, who, who's got mm-hmm. a bit of green on his hand and he's hiding it with a glove. Um, which you know, fair play, <laughs> and then you get the ones who they're kind of their faces have changed color, and they're obviously not themselves anymore, and they're dangerous. And then you get the full blown transformation, I suppose, with all the excess hair and the aggression yeah. and so on. It's it's quite interesting seeing the three different stages on different characters at different times.
1: What did you think of all this done? Uh, I mentioned before it was the, the practical effects have aged a lot better than than some would. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it, some of the versions, like the earlier stage, are, are a little bit ropey. But for Starman, I thought it looked for the, for the time and allow you know making those allowances. I thought it looked good. Like nowadays, it's kind of it looks crap, but in a good way. But for when you actually take it into context, it's like that's and given the given that most of John Pertwee stuff when he's stuck on Earth, it's because the budget had been slashed drastically. Yeah, I can't really fault it. Um. Although, at this point, it's all getting a bit bit brutal at this point because Stallman's keeping the technicians in this room and forcibly mutating them. And he's tried to do the same to the Doctor and to Sutton. You know, when, yeah, the heat shield he's brought down, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. That was after um, he'd clonked Sutton on the back of the head and he'd had a bit of a scuffle with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. um you know a bit, bit more uh bit more action and combat but one of the one of the soldiers uh who he forces to mutate you see it sort of part way through and i had to laugh because at one point he looked like pat sharp but green
0: <laughs> brilliant
1: <laughs> that's exactly my notes exactly it. the soldier mutates that's pretty well done actually even if he need to look like pat sharp at one point fair enough
0: <laughs> one thing i noticed i suppose it was earlier very early on like maybe episode one two whatever there's one guy who's, who's part mutated he looks like he's just put on like a face mask that you get from the body shop you know, like one of those mud masks do you know what I mean the colour of it and that it looks like okay I'm I'm going to turn into some sort of crazy you know full of heat mutant but I must have a nice complexion whilst I'm killing people you know, it's that oh, kind yeah. of that's the way it came across you know because it, it did it, it could have quite easily have been a face mask that they, they applied to him
1: well he got to look your best yeah that's it mate that's it you know it's it. <laughs> But again, it's it's budget issues now. If I, if it's the same one we're thinking of, it was one that was very—you only saw it a, a, a bit of a distance. Yeah, it wasn't a very long close-up. So yeah, yeah I think no we're just doing that for the long shot. And at, at the time, you wouldn't have noticed it, but now obviously we've got you know HD tellies and, and stuff like that. We're gonna we're gonna pick up on these things. Yeah,
0: I mean, the one that really stands out for me though is when Benton transforms because you kind of see oh. the whole. whole transformation it's almost like you kind of see it happening and then you cut away a little bit come back and more happen. and i thought that considering it's 1970 if you're a young kid watching that that that's that's stuff of nightmares that is
1: that it might have been better it was benton that is his his mutation when he looked like pat sharp
0: right yeah okay but i mean again you can see the teeth changing and oh yeah They cut back and he's got these scary eyes. And if if you imagine, I put it this way if if I sat down with, I don't know, say Charlie when she was seven or eight, that would have been nightmare material right there. That is scary, scary stuff.
1: Yeah, same. Yeah, it'd freak me out. I'm sure we've got my niece here at the moment. I'm sure she's foreign, but not that I ever would, but I'm sure if I put that on for her, she'd be demanding I turn it off instantly.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I know you don't want to be scaring kids, of course, but I kind of like that because to me, Doctor Who should be scary at times. It should have an element of comedy. It should have an element of various... Different aspects in different shows, of course. But ultimately, it should be a little scary. Every generation, I think, should have something yeah. in Doctor Who that gives them a bit of a scare.
1: Well, yeah, because that's what it's traditionally been, hasn't it? You know, from, mm, yeah. throughout, it's always been, you know, people hiding behind the sofa from the Cybermen. Yourself being brought to tears by by uh, by, uh, by Cybermen. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, me with the gas mask with a gas mm-hmm. mask child. It's, there's always mommy? something there. No, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually said a shiver up my back. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, I thought the story before, haven't I, about I was in a scare attraction and somebody got in my face with a gas mask and I nearly punched it Yeah, yeah, man.
0: I, but again, just natural reaction, isn't it? Because if that's something that genuinely scares you, it's like, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Um, we get somebody's voice over the, the tannoy system, don't we? basically wanting the heat shield to be raised and it's, it's, yeah, it's mm. yeah and he's asking for it to be raised and eventually people do give in because he is still in theory in charge and that's when we get a miniature army of these green dudes all coming out ready to yeah, there's six or seven of them.
1: yeah. i think th- th- this is quite interesting though because it, it's petra that raises the um uh, that raises the dart because it's been grown over the last two parts, where it's, it's another subplot where her loyalty to Stalman is is being uh, shaken because she knows that in her mind she knows Sutton's right. Yeah, and that there needs to be extra caution. There needs to be you know, and but she's got this faith in Stalman because they've worked together so many years. He's her mentor, whatever. That she just goes ahead with it blindly because he knows better than her, or so she thinks. And it's it's really it's a really good arc over the last few parts that Petra essentially gets a mind of her own, goes against Stalman, comes round to this, you know, to realise that she is, you know, <laughs> essentially smart enough to to make these smart enough and, and capable of to make these decisions rather than just blindly following this mad scientist, mm-hmm. as you put it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean we get a little jump across to the original uh, dimension and we're, we're told that yep. nobody can find sir keith now he's disappeared in his car and basically it's hinted at that sir keith is dead isn't it really
1: yeah it is but we, we actually see the car journey don't we because um, yeah his chauffeur his driver yeah he doesn't recognize the area and he's saying he's taking a different route to avoid traffic and then the in car phone's dead which honestly i didn't know they had in the 70s or if this was just made up for the show. Um, and we have basically find out that Stallman ordered the driver to take him as far out of off the route as possible and stage a breakdown, so that Sir Keith could never get back. Because so it turns out Sir Keith actually got through to the minister, and a full review of the projects were to take place. Yeah. So we see basically an accident's caused, and it's, it's implied that that Sir Keith is dead, as he was in the uh, uh, in the the fascist world.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I suppose we come to episode six, don't we, then really? There's not
0: much else mm. going on there.
1: Well, it ends on another good cliffhanger though, where they're in the uh, the brigadier's uh the they're sort of stuck in the brigadier's office, they're trapped in there, and uh one of the mutants punches through the door. Yes. Yeah, At the that, window of the door, I say. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's how that's how episode six starts, isn't it? They're trying to fight their way out of the office, effectively. They've devised this plan where they know, you know, these animals are all Obviously, very hot by nature, aren't they? That's because they're coming from this goo that's coming from like the Earth's core and so on. They've, they've established that if you cool them down, they die. So that's with a fire extinguisher or whatever. Yeah, there's a big coolant pipe where yeah. like, in the control room that they want to get to, which would help them defeat this kind of small small gathering of these mutants. These six or seven that are attacking them. So yeah, well, they decide it's, it's they're more to,
1: It's more to buy them time so that the doctor can fix the the master switch because they're trying to restore the nuclear reactor. And get power to the TARDIS console. That's the yes. new that's the new goal, isn't it? And yeah. So I the Doctor can then jump back across. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. One thing I loved about this is when they're leaving, uh, you know, getting, to, you know, looking at getting to the the console and then to the reactor. The Doctor basically ignores the brigade leader's suggestion to shoot the creatures and just use a fire extinguisher instead. Mm. It's 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 a safety tool, and the Doctor's found a way to use it to his advantage. Yeah. I thought it was very uh, very clever.
0: The fire extinguisher itself. Obviously, that they've got limited, I suppose, limited weapons when it comes to this, with regards to the fire extinguisher and then the coolant in the pipe and so on. But getting to the pipe, getting to the coolant is the is the first issue. So they use a fire extinguisher from in the office to fight their way into the control room to get the pipe to enable the doctor to fix the switch for the nuclear reactor and so on. Yeah, they're talking about not wasting. The fire extinguisher's contents because you've got to keep using it and that. And who's going to, there's a bit of a, not really a discussion, but there's a bit of a moment where you're undecided as to who's actually going to have the fire extinguisher as they go through the door. As they leave, you notice another fire extinguisher on the wall on the other side of the door that they don't touch. It's exactly the same one. <laughs> there's two oh,
1: of they're, them. <laughs> they're, in a pan- they're in a panic. They're in a rush. These things can get overlooked.
0: Yeah, mm, I suppose. I suppose.
1: Um, I, I didn't notice it, I'll put it that way
0: yeah they, yeah well, at first I thought, okay, maybe it's a different extinguisher, like they you have know, different contents, don't they? But yeah. then, when they grab another extinguisher a bit later on, it's exactly the same as the one that they ignored. Oh. so I was like, well, that's a bit silly <laughs> but now, there you go, like you said, they're yeah. in a panic, they've got they've got hot mutants trying to kill them, so
1: <laughs> at least what I do like though, is this is it's all very cause and effect, isn't it? It's saying, so we do this to do this. Yeah. That's stage one. Then we need to go, you know, the doctor needs to fix that. Petra needs to go fix this. Get here, get there. And it's all, it doesn't, but at no point does it doesn't feel convoluted. No. It's, it's laid out relatively simply Simply for what is effectively going to be really complicated tasks. Yeah,
0: and it, it, it all makes sense as well, doesn't it? Every task has a purpose. It's not just nonsense for the sake of nonsense. There's There's reasons for these quite extravagant, I suppose, mini-missions they've got to complete in, a, in an order to accomplish their goal, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it's laid out in such a way that us lame will understand it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, the Brigadier and Evil Liz get outside, and here's where we see that the, the, the Earth's Burning up basically, don't we? There's an effect that makes it all glow, it's hot, it's it looks like something bad is going down, doesn't it? In a 1970s yeah. sci-fi effect kind of way. Everything's glowing and so on. The doctor's fixing the computer switch to get the power to the TARDIS. There's a lot of jumping back and forth here between the two worlds as well, isn't when it? This one kind of really accelerates with that.
1: Yeah, because you're back on the proper earth and the brigadier's still looking for the doctor. stalman's refusing to go see him. And you get sort of an indication that the brigadier can be quite well. You get his full military side coming out when he, he, yes. sh- he just yells at Benton a chance to use your initiative, Sergeant. You know, carry him if you have to, <laughs> just yeah. to get started I like in his that. office. Yeah, I did. Um, Liz is still in the shed trying to, you know, fiddle with the controls and, you know, trying to find a way to to get the doctor back. She gets a visit from Sutton, who's. Sort of, he knows something's going on, hmm. but he doesn't know what it is. But again, it's, I've got a full paragraph here of the, of the conversation they have that didn't it necessarily was weird need them to be in that many. Yeah, they, they were dancing around it and it was all very awkward. But it was two people who don't know each other trying to ask hmm. about, you know, he's trying to ask, not directly ask about why the doctor's disappeared, but he's still trying to coax her into, into admitting what's going on. Yeah. So it was it was very odd, but it's yeah. again it, it's so side it's sides being sides being developed, isn't it? Like every basically everybody else versus Stalm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but here he comes across Sutton as quite creepy. And for the first I actually I actually thought to myself, okay, Sutton in the other dimension comes across like a decent guy, but there's always differences between the two dimensions. Is this the first sign that we're getting of Sutton? in our dimension, he's not as decent as we first thought. Obviously that didn't pan out, so I was wrong, but that's kind of the, the, the sort of feeling I got from this scene
1: because he came across a little bit sinister, a little bit creepy. Um, but I, see, I didn't get that from this scene. I got it from his initial reaction with Petra. Okay. His interaction with Petra. I didn't get it so much here. This, this felt like he, he was maybe being a bit sneaky and trying to be, be a bit clever, but it didn't, I don't know, I don't remember it being overly slimy. Mm okay. But it's it's interesting you say that. Though. I'd I'd have to go back uh, to go back and, and rewatch it because I might be wrong. Well, I I just thought not necessarily um, slimy or, or pervy
0: or anything like that, but more sort of sinister like there's a there's more of an evil side to him. You know, and the reason I thought that was because I was thinking of the other characters at the time. They've mm. got one side in one dimension one side in the other whereas this fella seems to be pretty much the same in both dimensions and I thought maybe this is us getting the difference in our dimension to the alternate dimension. Obviously it didn't pan out that way. I was incorrect, but that's kind of the vibe I got literally as I watched it at that moment, if that makes sense.
1: Fair enough. I feel like it is not something I picked up on, but very interesting that 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 it sort of spoke to you in that way.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Ultimately we don't get the power through, do we? To the TARDIS. There's issues that they haven't wired up the the situation properly. The switches aren't done correctly. There's wiring that's wrong and so on.
1: Oh, we get a great, um, we get a great line from Petra. Yes. The brigade brigade leader's trying to just at her constantly in her ear, giving her no end of of abuse. And she's just very calm, relatively calm and says, brigade leader, I'm trying very hard to carry out a complex scientific task under impossible conditions. You will not help matters by bullying me. Yeah. And then he calls her insolent. And she retorted. She just claps back saying that he needs to learn some problems can't be solved by brute force and terror. And that, that's, mm-hmm. when Liz, that's when that's when evil Liz actually backs him off and says, you know, calm down.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's really well-worded as well, isn't it? Those, those couple of lines, I mean, they're well-delivered, but it's really well-written bits of dialogue yeah. there for
1: me. Well-written, well-acted. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. We end up with Sutton and the brigade leader having a scrap then don't we where they're kind of the tensions are rising between everybody everyone's arguing everyone's you know there's again it's that ticking clock syndrome i suppose there's a deadline there's there's something uh, huge coming well the end of the world people are going to die so there's that pressure hanging over people all the time so everyone's kind of getting more and more tense more and more fraught to each other mm. and then we end up with sutton and the brigade leader having a fight in the hut yeah, it it didn't look good, did it? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it looked a bit, you know, standing there waiting to get it. it, it, it I've never been in a fight where the person I'm scrapping with stood there waiting for me to hit them. Put it that way, you <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was it was very um, andram, shall we say? <laughs> you know, much dramatics. Yeah, um, but what did, there was a couple of lines in this that I did like. Um, Sutton is a bit underwhelmed by the uh, the doctor's TARDIS console. And the doctor says, "What were you expecting? Some sort of space rocket with Batman at the controls?" <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I just, I was just amazed to hear a Batman referencing Doctor Who, to be honest. And uh, when they're when the fighting, the Doctor just gives them basically gives them both bollocking, mm-hmm. saying, "You know, what do you, do you really want to die like this? You know, fighting like animals." And one thing before the before the full crew get back to the TARDIS, one thing I loved was when the earthquakes were. Happening, and it was just the sheer comedy of the camera shaking and the overacting as they fell, they're pretending yeah. to fall. Oh, chef's kiss, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so so bad, I love it. Um uh, But again, we get another another great cliffhanger. The console fires up. Br- the, the brigade leader's pointing a gun at him, which I thought was uh, wasn't loaded or, or knackered, but he must have well, somehow a- fixed it. Yeah, they loaded. said
0: is is that loaded? And he shot it at the wall to show that it was.
1: Yeah, so. odd. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an exchange about saying, you know, they have a right to go. Um the doctor says he will have to shoot him as he's no intention of taking them. Brigade decides to try counting to three. Like that's ever done anything to anyone ever. Makes no and sense. And then uh Huntley shoots him. That was that was surprising for me
0: that evil liz did that but i thought that was such a brilliant touch because she's effectively still liz she's even though she's this fascist soldier and so on she's come round to the way the doctor is thinking and she's going to sacrifice herself and she's got no choice but to die in her reality she doesn't want the 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 brigade leader to cause the issues that jumping across would cause and she kills him off.
1: absolutely fantastic bit of storytelling yeah, great. Just the, the the character arcs in this, you know, for mm. for the you know the alternate universe Liz, for the alternate universe Petra, um, are just brilliant. And it, again, it wouldn't work without without it being the length it is. So, well, one of my complaints is that it was, you know, a bit long and a bit meandering at point. You know, it's had meandering at points. It was all. It was never effect It was never ineffective. Yeah. You know, it, it always had a point and. You know, all these storylines and, and character arcs, you know, weaved in, it was just so well written. But one thing I love is there's explosions as the TARDIS dematerialises. Um, you've got sort of stock footage of people screaming and fleeing. And then you've got the green screen at the door of the hut and the lava yeah. coming towards it. Superb wee woo beep boop. Yeah. I will have nothing said <laughs> against seventies against what is now considered terrible seventies green screen. Oh no,
0: mate, I enjoyed that. I got a kick out
1: of that. Yeah, yeah, just but they're just stood there, just waiting for it to hit the hit the hook. Yeah, well they can't like, go anywhere, can they? They're they're done. Yeah, they're, yeah, the goose is cooked, so to speak. The Doctor's shouting like about it being
0: too erratic as well for him to uh, Owen's too erratic for him to actually take off. I guess, and and that's kind of the, the the cliffhanger at the end of the episode, isn't it?
1: Yeah, another great cliffhanger. You don't know yeah. if the Doctor's fully gone. The lava's closing in. Is it too late? Brilliant. Mm. Yeah, it is.
0: We begin episode seven with the doctor on the floor again, but this time he's back in his normal time and he's found by Liz and the doctor is in a coma because of what's happened here. Obviously body's gone into shock, I guess. And he's effectively now on a mission, the doctor, to, to sort of summarize this last, this last episode, he's now on a mission to stop what he has seen in the alternate dimension happening in his real dimension, which is a few hours behind. That's yeah. basically the gist of it, Dan, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think he lands back, and there's about I think it's about three hours left or something like mm-hmm. that. So he's he's effectively got to the point, or roughly the same point as he got to the previous universe. Yeah, you know, not not a lot of time left. Um, Stalman's ordering more acceleration, and for some reason, throughout this serial, Stallman decides that calling people cautious old women. Yeah, that does cut quite a bit. Yeah, he keeps saying it he decided, but he's decided it's some form of insult. And it's like, is it is it really is it really that much of an insult to not the, want to risk to not want to risk blowing yourself up? I,
0: I get in my head like he'd be like, uh, turning around to the doctor and calling him a cautious old woman, and turning around as he's walking away, just in his mind going, "Yeah, burn, I got him, good, didn't I?" You yeah. Know? <laughs> Have that, you dick, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: cautious. <laughs> I called you a cautious old woman. What are you going to do about it? For me? not wanting to die. <laughs> and then the doctor will turn around and go, you're a nitwit. How do yeah. you like that? Oh, it, all sounds, it all sounds a bit playground when you say it like that. Sci-fi banter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, dear. The doctor, he, he's coming round from this coma, and he's babbling basically, isn't he? He's, he's trying to explain that the outlet pipe uh, being dying... Is going to cause big issues. The brigadier is basically saying, well, how does he know this? Because this happened whilst he was in theory away. So straight away, the the, the sort of suggestions the doctor is making has weight to it because he's turned around and talking about things that he didn't theory have no way of knowing about, which can back up the fact that he was where he says he was, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's and adding to all this as well, Sutton's raising more concern with the repair work on on the number two outlet pipe, as the pace the drilling could blow any you know it could blow any minute. Stallman's saying no, well, it's just an excuse to delay, and he's like, "Yes, we need to delay because you're going to blow the place up." Yeah, and the kind of they have just sort of a a back and forth, and Stalman suggests he should bugger off. Like I'm paraphrasing, but suggests he should bugger off like the doctor, and it all comes to a head with uh, Sutton basically losing his rag and saying, well, we're paid to be here, but this guy's not listening to, so what's the point of me being here? Mm-hmm. I may as well leave. But then he, he gets sort of called back by Petra, who's, I think, you know, in this universe gaining a bit of respect for him because the way he stands up to Starman. And, and again, it's the similarities in, in the, the alternate universes. Petra knows he's right. Petra knows something's right, but she can't quite get over a, a, a faith in Starman. Yeah. Yeah, but eventually they do the reverse in the vortex thing uh, that we saw in the, uh, you know, I think it was in the last part or a couple of parts ago. And the one thing that struck me about this episode, uh, this final episode, is how quickly everything got wrapped up. Yeah. Now, I know you normally, mean. normally, that annoys me. In this, I think it was exactly the right call because they spent so much time having the doctor figure out what was happening in the... Alternate universe, that he knows what happened. He knows what he needs to do here, so they can get a speedier resolution. You don't need to go through another potentially another whole part mm. to get to the end. You know, once he's once he's convinced people to listen to him, it can be done that quickly. He doesn't need another twenty minutes, yeah, just to make it happen. Again, it makes sense, doesn't it? Because he's already done the whole.
0: I suppose fact-finding side of things to find you know to, to, to discover what's needed
1: doesn't need to go through it again as you said dan yeah exactly so we, we get the whole you know Stalman mutating more converting people and all the rest of the things we saw but the doctor already knows how to stop it and, and people around him are already more more inclined mm. to help the doctor and to go along with it because they all know that Stalman's off his rocker and that everything's going to hell in a handbasket so yeah, I thought it was a really clever way to wrap it up qu- relatively quickly, and for it to not feel like a, a cheap way out. Yeah, again, yeah, it's very cool. well written. I mean, we get the, the the final
0: transformation, I guess, of Starman. He's he's mentioning being cold at one point, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's very cold. Everyone else is saying, "Well, it's not cold in here," because obviously he's he's transforming. His hands have gone all manky and and, and whatnot. Yeah. His hands look a bit like. Like when you're like when you're at junior school and you forget to take your sandwich out of your lunchbox at the school, and, <laughs> and then six weeks later you hand your lunchbox to your mum and she opens it. That's what Stalin's hand looks like here. You know, it's that kind of. That's uh,
1: that, that's, that's speaking from experience, isn't it? <laughs>
0: oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Virtually every year. <laughs> uh, he's he's basically he's in the process of changing now, isn't he? And he sends all the scientists out of the room. Mm. he's working in which i suppose is different to the alternate dimension because he kept them all in there with him in there didn't he yeah he did
1: yeah i think but also what's different in this uh, reality is that um is that sir keith is alive yes yes he's back yeah it was it was a non-fatal crash but it was um his injuries are a direct result of stalman uh stalman mm. tries to shrug it off and they say no it's, it's going to happen which just sort of sends stalman into a sort of into a fit and, and effectively moves things along in terms of yeah. the mutation side of things because he picks up more of the goo and puts it all on his face and, and, to, and exposes himself to more to speed up his mutation and, I suppose, try and get his way by taking people out. See, this bit, you've explained it
0: well there, but I didn't get it when I watched it because, it, okay, he gets he picks up more of the goo and wipes it on his face. I don't understand why you would do that. I don't get that at all. But also, he, he licks it. What the, what the, what the hell? <laughs> he licks <it.
1: laughs> Well, he, he had been, he's sort of, we've seen him in sort of trances at some point. I can't remember if it's the evil version or this version. But mm-hmm. they seem him be having sort of trances as if, he's, as if he's being overtaken by this by this goo and that you saw it with the others as well. So it may be that this is just, just having an effect on him. It's more like, it's more akin to an addiction. Okay, yeah. So the fine, the sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of Stalin is is everybody's finally turning on him. His project's a few minutes from completion. He's got this thing living inside him that's telling him to to get more of this goo and, and to finish the process of the mutation. So he thinks, fuck it, and just gives in. Maybe you know. Yeah. When they're out of the way, we'll penetrate the Earth's crust. I can worry about changing back later. Yeah. That's very character yeah, okay. for Stallman.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um eventually Stallman attacks and the Doctor and certain use fire extinguishers to basically just kill him off don't they he's done with by that stage yeah pretty much good Uh, yeah yeah good riddance what a dick (laughs) (laughs) in both universes he's a dick the doctor then manages to stop the drilling relatively straightforward he he basically shuts it all down cancels it all off and uh, that's I suppose
1: the emergency avoided I guess the disaster avoided yeah disaster averted day saved on this earth I did like that the countdown stopped at 35 seconds rather than stopping at one second yeah just like yeah. no, nah,
0: we got it in good a time. We're a, fine. Bit of a cliche in it when it stops at like one or something like that. You see that all the time. Yeah, thirty five is a new one. Yeah, I like that. We then we're then back in the doctor's hut. Everyone's kind of happy and chirpy. The project, the drilling project in general, is just being abandoned now. It's being there's an inquest into it, and they're not going to continue the project whatsoever. So that's all been done and dusted with one last occasion to use the nuclear reactor though the doctor has asked for which he is granted to try and you know get the tardis to the tardis console to work he has a yeah. bit of an argument with the brigadier doesn't he, <laughs> oh,
1: he I tell you what he, he goes out on a on a good line he doesn't call him a nitwit he says to him brigadier there are times where you strongly remind me of your other self yeah he says goodbye to Liz and that he'll miss her but he's had enough of this pompous self-opinionated idiot yeah. And he disappears in a flash. <laughs> ah. And the, the, and the Brigadier's just oh, he's a bit touchy, isn't he? Yeah. And like Liz he's oblivious asking, to the fact he's like grumpy. Yeah. And Liz asking how we'll get on without the doctor. Um, Brigadier's just sort of saying, you know, she's still a unit staff member and doesn't care for a tone, which is qu- quite like the alternate version of himself. Mm. And, she, and she just says, I don't care much for yours either. No wonder the doctor cleared off. And then you get sort of. <laughs> I, I hope you don't mind me taking the taking the ball. No, please then. carry on, Dan. Please. We, carry. See, we see a dishevelled John Pertwee, dishevelled doctor, <laughs> stood in the doorway. I said, Where did you go in the TARDIS? He said Says a few seconds forward in time and a few hundred yards due east in space. And Liz was like, Oh, the rubbish tip. <laughs> He's covered in crap, so, isn't he? <laughs> it's gone wrong. He's covered in stuff. He's looking like looking absolutely like I said, just dishevelled and, and like he's walked through a rubbish dump. And he grovels to the brigadier for a couple of stalwart chaps to retrieve the console. Yeah. And the brigadier just looks at us This pompous self-opinionated idiot, wasn't it? <laughs> and he's saying, come now, come now, old chap. You know, after all the years we've worked together. He's st- <laughs> and at that
0: moment there is brilliant because you get the, you get the underlying friendship of the Doctor and the brigadier, I think, because it's all forgiven, even though they're sort of digging at each other still. And the the Brigadier walks off with the Doctor's arm around him and Liz kind of laughs and rolls her eyes because she must have seen this a hundred times already, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very much... um, You get the feeling it's a a good friendship, but it's a bit combustible at times.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And that's that then. That's the end
0: of um, Inferno. Dan, to sum up, what are your thoughts,
1: mate? I really enjoyed it. I I was sceptical with it being a seven-parter. I thought, it's going to be a bit long and a bit dull and, and all the rest of it. Um so I went in with fairly low expectations. Um, and it knocked it out of the park for me. I, the, I keep saying well written, well acted, and, and this is mm-hmm. exactly what it was. There are there are still certain bits I think could have been a bit tighter and a bit um a bit less um you know, a bit less wordy if you like, and yeah, you know, tightened up a little bit to maybe, maybe down to six parts rather than seven. But that's me being a bit nitpicky on that aspect love John Pertwee as the Doctor. I'm, I'm going to watch more of him. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I like the whole relationship with the Brigadier. I like Liz. I know there are better episodes of Doctor Who in general out there, but I'd give it, if I was to give it a numerical rating, I'd give this a solid 7 out of 10.
0: Okay. Oh, fair enough. I, I kind of have similar feelings going in, in that when I watched the first couple of episodes and then decided this is the John Pertwee story I want to put forward, my main concern was that it was going to be a bit long and a bit, a lot of classic who you get an episode or two in, in a story that is kind of, it kind of drags and you, you lose a bit of the way and so on. Mm. This here, I think is really well paced. I suppose you're right. It could maybe have a couple of bits knocked out of it here and there and trim it down to maybe six episodes. But again, that's what a difference of 20 minutes or so. It's not a massive, yeah. massive step. I think it's really well paced, brilliantly acted, as you said, Dan. I love the whole two dimensions aspect and the one dimension being a few hours ahead. So you can almost see what's going to happen before it happens and so on. Uh, Yeah, I I really enjoyed it, mate. I got a massive kick out of it and I, I would happily go back and watch this and I would love
1: to go back and watch more John Pertwee. Yeah. I can't wait for season two. We'll we'll obviously be revisiting, you know, revisiting the doctors um, Mm -hmm. and I can't wait to revisit more, uh, more Pertwee yeah, yeah exactly definitely one of the better ones we've looked at especially after the uh, the last um the last classic who we did was uh, was Colin big <laughs> <laughs> well yeah
0: yeah it wasn't great it wasn't great so then next week next week's episode of the doctor who pod we are going back to new who we've only got one yeah. doctor
1: left Alan, yeah we've only got one doctor left yeah my last doctor matt smith where um, are we going well i gave you a choice uh, last last time it was my pick, and I said, "Did you want the scary one or the uh, the emotional one?" Yeah. So we've got the emotional episode coming up, and it's one that I honestly don't know how well received it is in sort of the wider Doctor Who fandom. But it's an episode that means a hell of a lot to me personally and that I absolutely love. Uh, we're going to be looking at Matt Smith, the Matt Smith episode, Vincent and the Doctor. See,
0: I was fairly certain last week when you said about scary or emotional having had conversations about this episode with you in previous weeks, that mm. this would be where you're going to go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Bill Nye turns up in it as well, doesn't he? That, he does, yeah.
1: He yeah. uh, turns up a couple of times at the, uh, the beginning and the end of the episode, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's weird. It's It's a decent story. It's not one of Matt Smith's best. Okay. But it's one that just means a hell of a lot to me personally. Yeah. Okay. Great stuff. Really. really so if you don't like, so if you don't like it, if if meeting in person doesn't end the podcast, then the, your opinions on Vincent and the Doctor, <laughs> might <be.
0: laughs> No worries, mate. No worries. Okay. So that's where we're heading. Vincent and the Doctor, Matt Smith tale next week. For those who are watching along and getting in contact on Twitter, talking about different episodes and so on, which is hugely hugely appreciated to everyone who does. On that note, Dan, do you want to let everyone know
1: whereabouts they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Griffin 21 usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date on movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on uh, Unbooking the Territory, uh, where myself and UTT Rob uh, look at the first and last of, uh, of professional wrestling. We're in season two of that now. Uh, you can also hear us on our side project, Unbooking the Tankatori, uh, where we look at the uh, the ups and downs of the career of Tank Abbott in WCW. That is a niche within a niche within a niche. But if you fancy, <laughs> if you fancy two drunks just enjoying someone punching people in the face, then uh, <laughs> then then pop along. Uh, you can find the, those two podcasts on Twitter at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank respectively. And you can also hear us on the that nineties wrestling podcast playlist uh, currently on primetime conversations, uh, but there may be a uh, time of recording. But the uh, there may be some uh, some changes coming up with that uh, in future. That's myself and Rob, and also James, who's sort of the uh, the the leader of that whole thing, and uh, and and our buddy Mags as well. So yeah, keep an eye out there for uh, for us looking at nineties uh, wrestling pay per views awesome
0: stuff you can find me on twitter at sjp words and also the group you want if you are more likely to use the book of face is at sjp all the shows and info there you'll find all links and uh, all the information you need to anything i'm involved in any articles i work on um, the Obviously, Chain Wrestling that's live on a Monday night comes out in a podcast version later in the week. We have Nitro Nights, looking at WCW, one show at a time. And The Waiting Room with Benny Mac is back. The first episode came out last week, so season two of Quantum Leap we're looking at there. Have a little look or listen at that. But most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at The Doctor Who Pod. That's at The Doctor W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod for all the information you need about this show here. Dan, I've had a bloody great time, mate, and I'm really looking forward to seeing a bit of Matt Smith, a Doctor Who I think my memory hasn't done any favours to. Oh. So it's going to be interesting.
1: He's definitely one whose stories have aged well, I'll put it that way. There was a lot on okay. first view that I wasn't too fond of, but I've gone back and realised actually I was just judging him because he wasn't David Tennant. I think that's what I did. Yeah. The wife loves it. The wife thinks Matt Smith's great. He is. He is great. Right. And uh, like I say, we'll uh, we'll we'll try and convert you. Okay,
0: no problem. Awesome stuff. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person as well next week to empty a couple of jars and have a little wander around York. Oh, we will get a few flagons down his
1: neck and, uh, and see what I have a quick in cars. Excellent. Raid, raid like Vikings. <laughs> and to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. I, got can't, I, I, I can't not do it. My, the lizard part of my brain, just like you need to write that down in case it comes up. I'll show you what I've got, right? That's the start of it there, yeah? Can you make that out? Is it too... Not really, it? it's too bright. Oh, there you go, yeah. You
0: see where it says two? Yeah. That's episode two it starts from, right? This,
1: I've got no idea why,
0: is episode one. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got no Nothing. idea why. And I've got loads of notes after that, but episode one is literally a blank page. Other stories that we've we've looked at, there's been. Sorry, can you hear that beeping? No. Every now and again, just a little. beep. I think the batteries are going in my firearm. Yeah, I just said to the wife them, because it's one of the few things that we'll sit down and watch together, mm. right? But she, she's. She watches it because I like it. Yeah. She, she enjoys it as well, but it's, you know, if she didn't see it, she wouldn't be gutted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So when I, I said to her earlier on, just before I'd come up here, I said, oh, are you going to be watching Doctor Who with me tonight or not, yeah? And yeah? Her exact words were, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> and I went, what? And I was like, I was like really upset. I was like, what? And it turns out she thought I meant, are oh, you going to be watching like 1970s Doctor Who with me later? Because <laughs> I was talking about this recording.
1: So yeah, she don't. She don't watch like that. (laughs) Brilliant. That's uh, that's trivel for you.